so he moves from, you know, talking about the importance of doctrine, how doctrine is the foundation of the Christian life, to now moving on to the various topics that liberals got wrong. So it's a, it's a nice, smooth transition from doctrine to now what doctrines did liberals mess up. Okay, um, last week, or I forgot if it was last week, I'm losing track of time. I sent out an email to the congregation to listen to Wayne's lecture or, or lesson. I hope you were able to. Um, but I'm going to summarize the chapter that he covered anyway. Um, on this handout, there are page numbers uh, there. You can follow it along if, if you want to take it home uh, and do that. Um, but I broke it up into four points that make Christianity distinct. Um, and the two points that liberals got completely wrong and what really led them to, to a, a different religion altogether. Um, so the first, uh, I'll cover the first, and we're going to go right through it. I'm not going to expound too much on it. We're going to go right through a cover in 20 minutes and go on to the next uh, chapter. So, <clears throat> first, the first point, Christianity is based on something that happened. History and doctrine. Um, they, see, they argued you can only know about God through Jesus. So, uh, the liberals wanted to cut out the Bible and only have Jesus' teaching to be the foundation of Christianity. Okay, kind of reminds you of the red-letter Bible, right? See, the red-letter Bible is liberal. It's, it's a liberal idea. Because all of the Word of God, we, we understand all of the Word of God, Old and New Testaments, is the Word of God. It's Jesus' Word, though, you know, through another means. It's, he wasn't in the flesh, right, uh, when he spoke that Word. Um, so, so we got to ask, what about natural revelation? Is that God's word? Yes, it's God's word. God has two books, nature and the Bible. Okay. God speaks through nature. It, he doesn't reveal his special will. He doesn't reveal salvation in nature. We can't look at a tree and say, yep, Jesus died for my sins. We can't do that. But, he reveals himself and condemns us, really. Uh, think of our consciences. When we make a mistake, uh, we feel guilty. That's God's way of saying you are guilty. You, 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 you've done things wrong in your life, right? That he speaks through nature. And what about special revelation uh, in Scripture? So they were saying God only speaks... We know he ultimately speaks in, in Jesus. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1. But he doesn't only speak in Jesus. He also speaks in the scriptures. And he speaks through nature. We, we spoke about that in the sermon this morning. He, he speaks even through our pain. Right. Um, second point. Uh, Christian doctrine is not based on feelings or experiences. Liberals were teaching that doctrine must come out of a feeling. Or sense experience. If you don't experience it, then it's not true doctrine. You, you have to experience. Uh, but, but for us, doctrine flows from Scripture, not our experiences. Um, the 
father of um, modern-day liberalism in the church, Christian liberalism, was uh, Friedrich Schleiermacher. I think I get into him at some point in our, in our series here. But he, he was big into this. He was all about experience. And, and it attracted a lot of Christians at that time. But they didn't realize where it would lead. It would lead to a denial of, of scripture and of doctrine in the scripture. Uh, actually, one of his main influences was uh, Jonathan Edwards, believe it or not, was influenced uh, Schleiermark quite a bit. And, and obviously, romanticism, the philosophy of romanticism was around at that time. So, you know, everything had to do with sense experiences. If you can't feel it or experience it, it's not really true. And that's ridiculous, we know. And I'll get a little more into that. Third point, Christianity is not just practical, right? Christianity is not just practical. Christianity is also theoretical. What does that mean? It, it means it arrives from the study of the scriptures. That was the Reformation. Remember, Martin Luther came to the gospel after long, hard studying the original languages, and it kind of just, whoa. I, Rome was not translating it this way or, or interpreting the scriptures this way. Grace came out of the scriptures, um, you know, and all the doctrines of the Reformation uh, at that time after careful study of the scriptures. Liberals were not saying that Christianity is theoretical and practical the way we would say it, but the practical took priority over the theoretical, over the study of the scriptures. So it doesn't matter if you read your Bible or not, or you study it, it matters how you live it, how you practice it. This is kind of where Rome is in a lot of places too. It just matters what you're doing. Leave the studying to the guys who know it, you know, the priests or whatever. So this makes Christianity practical only and not theoretical at all. But for us, doctrine is the basis of our practice. Doctrine leads to practice. Uh, you don't have doctrine, you don't have Christianity. Okay. And to a certain extent, we can say if you don't have consistent uh, practice, you don't have Christianity. But we also know that humans are flawed and sinful and we make mistakes okay. uh, as sinners. We don't always walk consistently with uh, our calling. But when it comes to doctrine, if you don't have that, you don't have Christianity at all. Okay. Fourthly, liberals were teaching the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. Uh, this was to support universalism, that everyone is saved by the blood of Jesus instead of a select few. Uh, and this, of course, would do away with the importance of preaching the gospel, right? If everyone is already saved, what's the point of being here? What's the point of even gathering this church together to hear the word of God each week? You're already saved. You don't need me to tell you anything. You don't even need to read your Bibles, right? That's where it would eventually lead to. But since we know the scriptures and we know that's not the case and that Man is totally depraved, and he will be punished for that depravity. Can't forget that. We can't just say we're depraved. We also got to remind people that we will be judged by God for every thought, word, and deed that 
then that should compel us to preach the gospel and say there's a way out. There's salvation. There's communion with God that can be restored. That's why we preach. We don't preach to give moral lectures. We don't preach to give pep talks or TED talks. We preach so souls would be saved and built up in their faith so that when the Lord appears, they won't be ashamed to look into his face. Okay. The, the, this, this is what compels, should compel every preacher of the gospel. And it should compel us to invite all men into the warmth and joy of the house of God. Um, I hope that's how we feel when we come into church. We're coming into a place of sanctuary, of rest. Um, yes, we, we want to be convicted of our sin, but we also want to be reassured of God's grace and the warmth and love of God and respond in, uh, in heartfelt worship. Um, but if, you, if everyone's already saved, what's the point of doing that? Okay. It leaves Christianity with nothing. I mean, and, and that's why, as Danny said a few weeks ago, liberal churches are going down in number. Because what's the point of going to church? If, you, if there's no hope, if it's just another social club, you're coming to church to do what you can do at the, what's the lodge down the road there? I forgot. Anybody know? Well, you know. Anyway, you could just go to the lodge, get a beer with somebody and, you know, hang out. What's the point of going to church if it's just like every other institution? Right? But it's not. So what, what was the problem? What, what did they get wrong? What were the two major doctrines they got wrong, <clears throat> uh, which is foundational to Christianity? First, Christianity differs from liberalism in its conception of the transcendence of God. Right? The great gulf of separation between God and man. We see this in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 7, section 1. The distance between God and man is so great that he must condescend to sinners by way of covenant if they are to have any fruition. Of him and his blessedness. Right? He, he, God is totally other. He's different. He's not, he's not like us. He's not like his creatures. Okay? That's one of the fundamental doctrines we learn as Christians. God, I am not God. Right? You should be able to say that, I hope. You can look in the mirror and say, I'm not God. Okay? Um, now, though there's a great gulf... He still operates within the world. He operates within the world, though he is other than the world, he is different than the world, but he operates within the world, but not because he is identified with the world or with the universe. Uh, we hear this, this is kind of like a form of pantheism. Um, the term God for many is oftentimes applied to the world process, the way the universe works. Um, we had great preachers and speakers in, in America over the <clears throat> uh, centuries. One of them was Martin Luther King Jr. Right? But if you listen closely to his speeches, when, when he refers to Judgment Day, he is talking about kind of like a pantheistic slash deistic way of viewing the world that eventually the universe is going to judge us. Right? Um, 
that sounds more like kind of like karma, uh, something. To, no, in the Bible, God is going to judge us. He's not part of this world process. He, he, you know, in pantheism, they'll, they'll look at a rock and say, God is that rock. Okay, God is not the, no. When you read about Christ in the scriptures and Christ is the rock, they don't, it doesn't actually mean he's a rock, Right? It means he is our foundation, he is our strong, stronghold. Uh, we can trust him, we can build our lives upon him um, and in him. Um, but it does not mean he is an actual rock. Okay, that's what we call pantheism, where God becomes part of the world. Uh, liberal Christianity started to teach that in a lot of their churches, um, that God is part of this world process. He is always... Uh, becoming, he is changing with the world, right? That's, that's not God. That's not our God. God is transcendent. He is holy other. He's holy, right? He's holy. We're not only, there's not a great gulf, not only because we're his creatures, but also even more so, we're sinners. So imagine that gulf just got even greater, okay? Second point they got uh, horribly wrong, um, and it's natural if they got the doctrine of God wrong, they got the doctrine of man wrong. Uh, Christianity differs from liberalism in its conception of God. Um, man is totally depraved. Man is a sinner, sinner under the condemnation of God. But to liberals, there's no such thing as sin. Okay? There's really no such thing as sin. There's no consciousness of sin. And there is a confidence... In human goodness. Now, um, I've heard even Arminians uh, teach that if you're not conscious about your sin, you didn't really sin. I've heard that. I said, wait a minute. Even if you don't know if you sinned or not, you still sinned. Right? Now, that, that's been the, the teaching of um, Christians since um, the early church. It doesn't matter if your consciousness of your sin, you're a sinner. You have sinned. Uh, just because you're not conscious of something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. The, the whole argument against God sometimes says, well, I've never seen God. I can't hear God. I can't touch God. So he doesn't exist. That's not a good argument. Because you know oxygen exists. Even though you can't touch it. You're alive right now because you're breathing. You can't see the air. Unless it's really cold out. But it still exists. The same with God and the same with sin. God and sin exist. Even if we're not conscious of it. Uh, and this confidence in human goodness. Now, um, prior to, to uh, I'm going to wrap up this section in five minutes. Five minutes. Prior to World War I, um, Machen was much more optimistic about um, human goodness or even Christianity having its effect. He, he still believed in total depravity, but he had more optimism about Christianity having an effect on society. And he even wrote a famous piece called Christianity and Culture. And he talked about how Christianity could be used, or not, probably the wrong word to use, uh, not used, but Christianity can in some way affect society. After he went to World War I, he said, nope. 
That's not the point of the gospel, right? He came back, his optimism about both Christianity and even human goodness in general. World War I confirmed for him total depravity. And he came back changed um, after that. And obviously he wrote Christianity and Liberalism. And he went on to say, well, no, man is totally depraved. Even the Christian has so much uh, work to be done in him. And he was much more skeptical. uh, Machen was one of the greatest skeptics in, in America about Christianity's effect on the world or on society. And he saw the efforts, even though later he would conclude that America's efforts in World War I were good, he supported it. But yet he saw human depravity on a whole other level. Um, And for background, remember, if you remember from the earlier lectures, he wasn't a supporter of Woodrow Wilson, the war, his fallen policies. He was not a supporter of League of Nations uh, because he was using the League of Nations to Christianize the world when Wilson himself was a liberal with his Bible. But he came to the realization you can't force anyone to become Christians. And if you can't force anyone to become Christians, that means you can't Christianize society. It would be impossible. It will eventually fall apart. Because to be a Christian is voluntary, obviously by the Holy Spirit, right? Um, irresistible grace. Yes, we, we recognize that. But it's, it's voluntary in the sense that you can't force people to become Christians. Right? God chooses when and where to convert people by his word and by his spirit. And you can't tell him when to do it. That's why you can't Christianize society. Okay. Um, and he... Uh, Machen believed at this point Western civilization was already pagan, not Christian. And when he uses the word pagan there, uh, it's not a term to say, oh, those pagans, evil pagans. No, he was just, it, it was not a term of reproach. He's, he would even say that Greece was pagan but glorious, right? There were some good things about these pagan nations that we should learn from. Um, so... Pag- uh, and uh, he goes on to define what paganism is. Paganism is that view of life which finds the highest goal of human existence in the healthy and harmonious and joyous development of uh, existing human faculties. So paganism is optimistic with regard to unaided human nature, whereas Christianity is the religion which begins with a broken heart. Even though it doesn't end with a broken heart, it begins with a broken heart, realizing uh, understanding how we have sinned against the holy God and coming under conviction and, and confessing our sin and turning to Christ by faith. While paganism ignores the simple fact of sin. Uh, while Christianity is not found upon pride, but upon divine grace. Notice every society is built on pride. Christianity is built on grace. Not merits, not our own merits. Every society is built on merit. The way we live in the world, we, it's based on merit. Work, you earn your bread, right? Um, but Christianity is built upon divine grace. So we are to proclaim the whole law of God in, in the church. We must rely on the Holy Spirit to convict men of sin and be saved through the gospel. Jesus did not call the righteous, 
to repentance, but sinners. And so, um, and that's far different than liberalism, where liberalism says that man can be good on his own. He can choose the right way. He can do good. We say, no, he can't. There's generally good people, right? That's moralism, generally good, but they can't do good. The true good, right? God's definition of good on their own. Any questions so far? That's it for God and man. And you probably got most of that from the <laughs> Wayne's lesson. Um, he did a great job, by the way. I just wanted to um, summarize the chapter as it is laid out. Page numbers, you have it all there. You can go back if you want to uh, read it again. Okay, <clears throat> jump right into the Bible. I'll try to spend 20 minutes tops on chapter 4. So, Machen opens up his chapter on the Bible with this. Modern liberalism has lost sight of the two great presuppositions of the Christian message. The living God and the fact of sin. Uh, as I just said earlier, as, as you listen to Elder Wayne Moore's um, lesson last week, I think, um, there is a big difference between the Christian's conception of God and man and the liberal's conception of God and man. The liberal identifies God as part of the creative process rather than standing outside of that process. Their God is pantheistic. Liberals identify God as part of his creation rather than separate from his creation, though he does work in his creation. And this is where it would lead liberals to tolerate all gods of all religions. This is why they say all gods are pretty much the same. Because we are all in a process of understanding and we're all going to reach the same zenith point or the same point of convergence. I don't know if you've spoken to anyone who's into new age religion. You hear convergence a lot. And it has to do with understanding. Since we're all imperfect, they don't say sinful. For some reason, they don't use sinful. But since we're all in this process, we're all growing and maturing in our own different way, eventually what heaven is going to be is this convergence where all these truths will converge together and they'll come together, right? And it's all been the same truth, that this is what they believe. This is liberal Theology. So they believe Hinduism is the same as Christianity. It's just a different expression using different words, maybe different names of people. You know, um, what's their God? Uh, Krishna is another word for Christ. And, and that may be true. The question is, did any of their gods even exist? Did any of their gods walk this earth? Right? And... Uh, so again, their, their God is pantheistic. Liberals identify God as, I already said that, part of his creation. And they would lead to tolerate all religions. And all religions are going to converge one day. To the liberal, all roads lead to God. Machen would fight back and say, that is not the God of the Bible. We are reading two different books entirely. Because the God of the Bible reveals himself to his people. And he is not a God of confusion. He is not going to reveal himself in many different ways depending on your cultural background. Right? That's not what God does. He doesn't reveal himself to people based on where they're born. 
He put them there to begin with. Um, so he's not going to do that. He's going to reveal himself in truth. One way. Right? This is why Jesus said, I'm the only way to the Father. There's no other way. It's, it's through me. He was speaking to that idea that there's many ways to God. Think of the book of Acts and how all people from all nations, mind you, probably coming from all different religions in the book of Acts. All these ancient religions, a lot of them were around back then. But all of them were called through the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were told there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That was the message of the apostles. So it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter where you were born, it doesn't matter your culture, it's the same message for you. Okay? It's the same message the church has for everyone despite their ethnicity, despite if they lived in the mountains or down in the valley. It's the same message. There's salvation in no one else but Jesus Christ. So liberals are ignoring two very important points that the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, we already covered it, the transcendence of God and the depravity, the total depravity of man. We are sinners, totally destitute in ourselves to save ourselves from the wrath of God that we need a savior and a redeemer. The sinner needs grace even though he may seem moral on the outside. Deep down, man is evil. Jesus called his disciples, you who are evil. He was speaking to their nature. He called them evil. So who are we to say, no, 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 no. Jesus was wrong about that. Jesus knew the heart of men. It says this in John 2.25. And so he knew that men and all of our works, everything that flow out of our hearts, has evil intention and motive, even if the results are good. Okay? Even if it works out for good for someone else. All of our intentions within us, maybe it could be a pat on the back, maybe it's pride. Maybe we're trying to prove something to our parents or our siblings that we can do it. It's all evil. That's all evil. Right? But liberals believe the exact opposite. That deep down, man is good and capable of doing good. And so, he would be good enough to save himself. And this is why we believe that Arminianism is quasi-liberal. It's, it's almost there uh, in many ways. Arminianism teaches that man has the ability to choose God. And once he chooses God, then God regenerates them. You say, no, no, no. In order for man to even turn to God, to have conviction of sin, that is a Godward conviction of sin, you must be regenerated first. You, you're not able to turn to God or even pray to God, have a heart for God without already being born again. And so there's a few points here. Just got to check how many. Four points. This chapter is broken up into four points. The Bible. He is defending the Bible here. The Bible is special revelation. The Bible is historical. The Bible is inspired. And the Bible is authoritative. Not sure if I'll be able to get to all four points, but we'll see.
So it's not only these two conceptions, the, doc, the doctrine of God and the doctrine of man, that the liberal gets wrong. But the Christian and the liberal differ on the message itself. And that message comes to us from the Bible. So how is the Christian to consider the Bible? Is it God's word or is it not? Historically, the Reformed has believed that God has two books and two ways that he has chosen to reveal himself. Natural revelation and special revelation. Natural revelation would be through the creation. And special revelation would be through his revealed word. Today it would be through the Holy Scriptures. The first chapter of our confession states, Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of His will which is necessary unto salvation. So through God's creation and His natural revelation, all men know that there is a God. All men know there is a God. Even if they deny it, they know there's a God. You ever want to ask someone, if somebody asks, okay, prove, prove God. You respond, explain your consciousness. And you'll leave them stumped. I, I guarantee it. Explain your existence. And there's hardly a sufficient answer to disprove the existence of God. Unless your conscience is completely seared or you have a form of psycho, psychopathy, man knows when he has done something wrong by way of his conscience. And all men will be held accountable to what God has revealed in nature, what he has revealed to his conscience. People ask, you know, how, um, how is God going to condemn those who never heard the gospel? Through his conscience. Through the conscience, man is revealed as guilty. I don't think any of us living today can say, I have a completely pure conscience. I've, done, I've always done right. None of us can say that. We've all made mistakes against people we know, people we love. Probably, you know, got into an argument with our spouses this morning uh, or whatever on the way to church. And none of us can say we have an absolutely clean or clear conscience. And that is what God will use to condemn those who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because natural revelation does not save, it only condemns. So where do we find the truth of how men can come to salvation? The Bible. The Bible. So the second point, the first point is that the Bible is special, special revelation. Second point the Bible is historical. And in the Bible, we find that, that the great redemptive core is surrounding the event when the eternal Son of God was offered as a sacrifice for the sins of men. That is, that is the redemptive core of the Bible. We don't just go to the Bible for moral teaching. We do that, yes, as Christians. But surrounding uh, what the Bible surrounds is the redemptive core of what Christ has done on our behalf, his life, death, and resurrection for the sins of men. This is the one event that the whole Old Testament points forward to, and it is the one event that the New Testament finds its center and core. This may have upset some dispensationalists of his time, maybe, who, who read the Bible differently. 
salvation is not something that each person must discover on his or her own, but something that happened. It is history. This is what makes the Bible unique. This is what makes Christianity unique. Uh, Yes, you can find commonalities between Christianity and other religions. Maybe some form of the golden rule, forgiveness, mercy. But you won't find the most important and foundational event that makes Christianity different from all the others. And that is the narration of Jesus' death and resurrection. This happened. If you ever speak with someone who says, what's the difference between this religion and that? Well, it's surrounding the question, who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Who is he in history? Right? That's the difference. What we say about Jesus and what he has done is the core difference between Christianity and all others, all other religions. And without the event of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, the world is dark and humanity is lost under the guilt of sin. No matter the moral principles that you may live by. Right? No matter how moral or good you are in society, that's not going to save you. Okay? That should not be our rest and hope. What will be our answer to sin? Try harder? Everyone makes mistakes. Try better next time. Live the golden rule. If you live the golden rule, you'll be fine. That will lead you to to despair. You'll despair over your sin. Sin has to be dealt with. And so God offered up his only begotten son. But he answers his objectors who asked the question, why do we have to depend upon something that happened so long ago when we have all the resources we need today, here and now, isn't there salvation independent of history? What about Christian experience? Remember going back to uh, how experiences was very important to the liberals. And aren't, aren't these some of the same questions we hear today that you know, we, we should rely on our experiences? If you haven't noticed, every religion in the world has salvation experiences. Um, I remember... <clears throat> and I'm taking this from another preacher who pointed this out, so not taking full credit. But if you watch the movie, great movie, uh, Malcolm X, right? He goes from, uh, Denzel plays it, one of the best actors in the world, probably the best. He goes from uh, what we would classify, he's a sinner. This is a depraved guy, he's, you know, um, I think he was a thief or whatever. And he came to a total transformation after a religious Experience. Totally different guy. Completely moral. Takes care of his wife. He has kids. You know, um, he was involved in the civil rights movement um, and, and so forth. But it's the wrong religion. <laughs> There's nothing that dealt with sin in Islam. He was Islamic. Big conversion experience. R- wrong religion. Wrong message. It's not just about trying harder and, and being good. So on Judgment Day, God would see all the good you have done and say, oh yeah, you, you're, you're a good guy. Go in. That's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. Every generation and every person has their own truth and their own path. 
They just need to find it. They need to experience it for themselves. This is what liberals would say. Without being held down by so-called facts. This is what liberals would say. Every generation had their own truth. Right? We hear that a lot today. You have your truth. I have my truth. That's what counts. Just don't step over that line and tell me my truth is a lie. Right? Um, but the fact that we have two opposite truths just proves that one of ours is a lie. Right? Machen answers these objections by saying what happened in history over 2,000 years ago has effects that still continue today. Jesus at one point in time offered himself as a sacrifice for the sins of those who should believe on him. Then on a certain morning, he rose from the dead. That is a record of a past event and that event has effects today. So don't say, you know, can we have experiences apart from that fact? No, we can't. That event in history had to occur, occur for our experience to be legitimate. Because we experience the facts of that event when we place our faith and trust in the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. We live within redemptive history. We are part of the new covenant church that we find in the New Testament. Um, uh, there, there's a free book out there. Um, called Redemptive History Unfolded, I believe. It's by Camden Busey and Lane Tipton. And it just hot off the presses. I ordered 10 for the church. And then I came home from uh, my short vacation and found a box with 10 more free ones that they sent me. So I was like, oh, great. So, so one per family, take a copy. But it's arguing the fact that, you know, oftentimes Christians just run to our own experiences. We read the Bible and we don't want to study it. We just want to run to, you know, how can I do this or that? What, what is my next rule? What is the next step? Blah, 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 blah. We're only looking at ourselves. But they're situating redemption in history that has gone past. You must start with Jesus Christ and what he has done. Okay? Or if you're reading the Old Testament, you've got to read the context, right? What's the context of the book you're reading? And then, what is the broader context of the whole Bible? How is the Old Testament fulfilled in the New Testament? Before you can even get to, okay, now we get to myself, application. Then we apply it to me, right? Uh, we call this uh, the history of salvation, historia salutis. If you know the Reformation, there's a lot of talk about the ordo salutis, the order of salvation. The order of salvation has to do with how it applies to me. The history of salvation is looking at all of redemptive history and how it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ at a certain point in time. You can't disconnect what Jesus has done to what happens to us in our experience. That's basically what it's about. Go back to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look outside of yourself. Look to Jesus first. So it is not just experience alone apart from a historical event. Some will ask, isn't having Jesus in your heart enough? I know some of you had experiences with that phrase. Or, that's actually a liberal phrase. But anyway, why do we need to trust in something that happened in history, specifically what happened on the first Easter morning? Can we have faith? Apart from history, can Christianity divorce itself from history? 
Some were claiming that you can still have Jesus in your heart apart from those events that actually took place. You can have Jesus in your heart without him raising, being risen? Without the resurrection? How is that possible? Without him dying on the cross? You can have Jesus in your heart without that? I don't think so. Before you think it is far-fetched, there are some who teach this today, and they are invited again and again to speak at Christian colleges and seminaries. People who don't believe in the resurrection. They're labeled as Christian teachers, and they're for our cause. They teach that the resurrection of Christ is only a metaphor, not to be taken literally. It is a metaphor about how we are to die to ourselves each day and rise a better person the next. Right? They, they boil it down to our experiences. So it doesn't matter if the resurrection happened. What, hap- what matters is that you die to yourself each day and you're raised every day a better person than, than the day before. But this is not Christian experience. All of us know as Christians, this, is, this doesn't happen. It's not that easy right? uh, as saying that. Okay. Machen says it might be a religious experience, but it is not a Christian experience. Christian experience depends upon an event. The Christian life depends on this event taking place. Without it, we are to be of all men pitied, as Paul says. If the resurrection never happened, what are we doing here? People should drive by and laugh at us, right? If if it never happened. If Christ did not die and if he was not raised we would still be in our sins. And our faith would be futile and vain. Our faith depends on the New Testament record. Um, Because if he wasn't raised, like I said, we would be still in our sins. So that means no matter how much moral improvement you've had over your life, you're still in your sins if you never raised. That means all the mistakes that you have made before would be counted against you. I'm going to stop there. The next two points I'll cover next time. 